You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan, and we are here with David Fisk from the Charlotte Symphony. Now, here's a great quote, and we'll bet you probably never guess who said it. Here's what I want in heaven for all of the words to become notes and all conversations to be symphonies. We'll tell you uh, who said that in a, in a moment, but let's start here. No matter what your situation or really your station in life, there's there's a style of, of, of music that speaks to you. You know, music is a huge part of the soundtrack of our lives. You know, it's, uh, you know, it might be like, who doesn't recall the songs that remind them of their first boyfriend or girlfriend? I will say I don't. I don't. Uh, I've, I've forgotten about them. But, you know, spring breaks and weddings and, you know, things that you've been a, a part of. You know, I was listening to 2000 rap yesterday and Scott came in. He's like, oh, listening to old school. And I'm like, dang, I'm getting old i'm getting old i remember listening to this like just yesterday it seemed like now david is somebody who's been around you know music uh, you know for as long as, as he's been a professional really i'm guessing longer than that probably his entire life but he is now the president and ceo of the charlotte symphony and uh his uh his first chair today is going to be with us on the brown butters podcast excited to learn more about his story excited to learn about what he does here you know in charlotte and really you know get people excited maybe you haven't heard you know of the symphony or maybe you just haven't been you know that's one of the scenarios for me i I know about it but i've never been and so i can't wait to learn more so david thank you so much uh, for joining us on this episode of the award-winning brand builders podcast sure great to be with you actually i think we should just stop right there because everything you've already said is what it's all about, and that's enough. All right. Well, you <laughs> are the nice work, work, Brian. All right. Well, <laughs> the nice podcast work. was great. Thanks for joining us, Dave. <laughs> hey, well, thank you, David. Man, we appreciate you taking the time and excited to learn more. And uh, let's get this one out of the way first. Any idea who said that quote about the symphony? No, I've never heard that before. That's really good. For all the words to become notes and all the conversations to become symphonies or be Love symphonies. It. Tina Turner. Tina, Tina Turner. That was her. Oh, good <laughs> Way to go, Tina. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, so you've been around the, the art and music for a long time. Um, what kind of a music do you actually like to listen to? I like to play myself. I have a piano at home, and I've been a pianist since I was a little kid. So anything, really. And one of the things that we want to dispel, one of the myths we want to dispel about the Charlotte Symphony is that we just play classical music, because we don't, we play music of all kinds. And I think it's very important we don't get compartmentalized into any little box, because music, as you were saying, is, it's, it's the soundtrack of our lives, and the base of the symphony in the city is to be the soundtrack of the city, in my view. So we want to make sure that we're connecting people wherever they are, and finding the music that speaks to them. I love, love it. it. You can find it in our in our on our website. All of those different programs are a huge range of what we do. I tell you what, like music um, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is one thing that is absolutely universal, right? Like I think everyone on this planet ties in or enjoys some sort of music, right? And it has some kind of strange power. So it when does. I was a little kid, I was a boy chorister. I was a singer in choirs. And I was at school for five years as a, as, a, as a boy chorister in London. And they put us in the age of eight into the choir. And they kind of assumed that we would learn like osmosis from the boys standing next to us and so along. There wasn't. And there was training, but 
we kind of learned by going along. And I remember one of the big services we were singing in, I was standing at the front and I could see the people in the church and the cathedral very, very clearly. And I don't remember exactly what the piece of music was that we were singing, but I could see the tears on the faces of the people that were listening. And I was only eight. I just, I couldn't understand what it was that was touching them so deeply, but I could see it. And there have been so many times through my life since then when I've seen people moved to tears by music. We don't know what it is, but it is unique amongst the arts, I think, to touch us in that kind of way, even more than words. Absolutely. And we recognize that we're dealing with a big power that is undefinable when we're producing our concerts. And there have been many, many times of the years, to your point, where through music, I've been able to bring people together in a way that nothing else could. And I'll tell you a story about that. One of my previous jobs was um, running the symphony orchestra in Northern Ireland. And I went over to Belfast about six months after the Good Friday Agreement had been signed. So you remember that whole drama of, would they sign it? It was yep. you know, sleep, sleepless nights in negotiation. Finally, the thing gets signed. And they look at each other and say, okay, now what? We're going to make peace. And all of the terrorists who'd been fighting each other and the government and um, creating all this mayhem were now in government. And running the orchestra, I was aware that we had a really careful role to play, not to be associated with one side or the other, but we had a huge opportunity to go right through and bring everybody together. And so very carefully through the schools and through the public performances we were giving, we tried to do that. And one of the most powerful moments that I can remember was we brought uh, Luciano Pavarotti to Northern Ireland. Wow. At the peak of his fame. And he was the kind of musician who could bring everybody. Everybody wanted to be there. And we gave the concert in the grounds of uh, Stormont Castle, which is the high seat of unionism in Northern Ireland. It's a place that they were trying to open up where Catholics and nationalists would never have gone before the peace process was started, was underway. So we brought Pavarotti to Stormont, we threw open the gates and we played to a huge crowd. And you had folks sitting down just side by side, family by family on the grass, just completely captivated by Pavarotti. If you'd analyzed that crowd, you would have found people there who would never normally have been anywhere near each other. Mm -hmm. There'd been this huge enmity for a generation, but it didn't matter anymore in the moment of the music. And that was one of those times when I said, we've, we've got something here we need to be very smart about. Because if we, if we do this well, we can help break down those hatreds and those barriers and be a force for good here. So, and that's a rather extreme example, but I think that music can touch people in very, very special ways. And we try to do that to try to make every concert special in some way so that it becomes memorable and makes people feel happy, excited, uh, or just deeply moved. And it makes it sound too serious. 
we are about entertainment, but it's a very special kind of entertainment. You know, I think um, it, all you said was great. And, and I and I immediately started to think of my four-year-old son. And so my father was, was all into music. I kind of went more the sports route, but my dad was in the Marching Chiefs at Florida State. And I remember growing up as a kid, he would bring out his trumpet and he would play the fight song and the war chant. And it yeah. was something that... I just loved, right? I was like, oh my gosh, my dad was in the Marching Chiefs. Well, over a couple of weeks ago, I got to take my son to his first game and he had never seen a marching band. He had never seen really just what a college football experience is all about. But one of the things that was so interesting to me is my son was more interested in the band, in Marching Chiefs, in the songs they were playing than the football game at all. Right. He, and, and I strategically bought seats right by the marching chiefs because he just loves music. And we go to a lot of Charlotte FC games and he loves when the supporters come by and they have all their drums and it doesn't matter what the music is, but he's connected to that. So we got him this little drum for Charlotte FC for Christmas and he walks around our house, which banging it. I don't know if it's a good <laughs> idea or not, but he loves it. And just seeing my dad's expression on my four-year-old, how much he enjoyed it. And, you know, it was just so exciting for me. And, and, and that's just music. And, and it's just something that has connected Graham and maybe something that I didn't connect to at, at that level at that young of an age. But it, it's just fascinating to me because I, I think you explained very, you know, from a high level global standpoint of how of an impact it can have. But I'm just sitting here as a four year old in my house and you can see how much it plays to him. If the national anthem comes on before a football game, he's more interested in that. He wants to sit in the living room and sing it. And then when the kickoff happens, he's like over in another room. You know, it's fascinating. So anyways, what you said, I think, is, uh, is, is spot on. Well, it's, it's, I'll, say, I'll say three things back about that. One is you've got, a, you've got something special going on there. So nurture it. Give him that opportunity to, to learn it. The, the biggest employer of musicians in the United States, do you know who it is or what it is? I do not. It's the, it's the uh, Ministry of Defense. Really? Really? Because we, we still have the largest collection of bands, and choirs in the armed forces here uh, more than any other. And um, talking about the strange power of music, you talk about fight songs and marching songs, all that goes back to the role of music in war and how music and that, again, that strange power could lift the morale of the troops before they went into battle. So I think the bagpiper going in at the front of the Scottish army before they got defeated by the English again. Um, or... <laughs> Little nugget <Yeah>. there. <laughs> we don't know what team you're on. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or any of those times where um, you'd have that, you'd have that band playing to, to, to lift the troops before they went into battle because it does have that strange power. But the other thing I'd say is that, um, you know, we, we want kids to do sports, and we should. It's really important for them to have that exercise and building the teamwork and the camaraderie. But that teamwork and camaraderie and self-confidence also comes through playing an instrument and being part of a school band or school orchestra. So I am really passionate about giving kids the opportunity to learn music because not every kid is going to be great at baseball or basketball. And we've got to find the kids whose heart takes them through music somewhere else, their own, their own journey, their own, their own song. And it's very important we make sure that every kid has a chance to learn an instrument. And that is one thing which Charlotte Symphony is very much about in our partnership with um, CMS and the other public school systems around here. Uh, it's incredibly important that every child has a chance to learn music. And we believe that's one of our jobs. I love that. And to your point, Brian, uh, I mean, anytime I hear our national anthem at a sporting event or wherever it is, I tear up. 
<laughs> it's uh it's very moving, right? Like to know that you know the freedom and and all that we have here in this country. And I mean, if that doesn't make you emotional, then I, I don't know what will, <laughs> you know. And then there's these songs that happen and and you listen to over and over again in in different phases and times of your life, like whether it be good or bad. And every time you hear that song, you those memories come back uh, from that period of life. Um, I've found that with music over and over again. Um, and it's just so fascinating uh, how it does move people and bring people together. Let's talk about the Charlotte Symphony. So what, what do you see as uh, its role in Charlotte? And what are some of your biggest challenges um, in achieving some of the goals you have set out? Sure. Well, I'll give you a couple of data points first. We employ 65 musicians full time. And we have wow. about uh, 20, 25 staff. And the annual budget of the symphony is about uh, $12 million, which means that my the payroll that I have to authorize every couple of weeks is about a quarter million dollars. Hmm. So it's a business. I mean, it's a big nonprofit business. And, uh, and what goes with that is a lot of responsibility to our employees, but to the people who are paying those bills, including the taxpayer, to make sure that we're being really smart custodians of that investment because people expect us to be delivering music of very high quality in many, many different ways, including through the education systems. So that's, that's a sort of serious answer to the question. And what we try to do is think about how we can be part of that ecosystem of music and culture in Charlotte and help through partnerships do our best work because we often do our best work by working with others. Um, those musicians play with us for a large chunk of the week. And I manage the schedule that says when we call them for rehearsals and then for performances. And we would normally give two or three books of performances, two different kinds of performance every week. So this week we're doing work with the opera. We were doing a concert at Queen's University on Wednesday, a uh, tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, we've got concerts coming up in breweries. We've got concerts coming up with movies. So we, that whole breath we were talking about earlier, and then, of course, when the weather's warmer, we'll be outside playing a lot of performances outdoors as well. But when the musicians aren't playing for us, they're teaching. They're teaching the schools and universities. They've got their own private studios, after school teaching. Uh, they take part in church service, worship services of various different kinds. So they're, they're your neighbors. You know, they're in our community every day. And they're a very important part of that whole music infrastructure, working with musicians from other disciplines as well, doing their own things on the side. Uh, and um, really thinking, bring your life to the to the whole community through music. Love that. Embedded. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. I just said we're embedded in this community because of our sheer numbers. Absolutely. We uh, my my uh, my experience with you all is usually Symphony in the Park. Uh, yeah. Will you will you uh, host that again this year? Yeah, we are. We're doing four concerts uh, at South Park in June. Awesome. Uh, and. Yeah, we're, we're looking at other opportunities to bring our music into every neighborhood if we can over the coming years. So I want to uh, jump into, so I, I'm somebody I haven't been, right? I haven't been to the Charlotte Symphony, but I want to learn more about it. And what would be, um, whether it's a, an experience that you've had, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that could go to the Charlotte Symphony and it's their first time. And when they walk out, they're like, wow, I didn't even know it was like that. Or I didn't know they, you know, they perform this type of music. 
What would you tell somebody that hasn't taken that step, you know, in the Charlotte Symphony, they haven't, you know, gotten the opportunity. Maybe it's somebody that goes, oh, you know, I'm not really into like the symphony type of stuff. You know, I don't really want to do that. How do you have that conversation? And what is the experience like for those first time, you know, families that come in or couples that come in or even single people that come in and get to experience that? Because I feel like it's something I definitely want to bring my kids to, especially my, my four-year-old who's so excited about music. But I feel like the experience, I'm going to walk out of there and go, I had no idea. Like that was unbelievable. So tell us how that is and, and why people should, should come check this out. Well, the easiest thing, the easier answer to that is check out the website because there you'll see everything that we do. And for your four-year-old, I think he wouldn't be too young to say, come along on February the 18th and we're doing a family show with puppets at 11 o'clock Saturday morning, just for an hour with the fairy tale of Hans Christian Andersen, The Emperor's New Clothes, with musical background. So we all love stories. And my, my hunch is that your, your four-year-old would really respond to that. And his imagination will be fired by hearing this fairy tale story told again with music, live music. And this, the live music, which is our powerful product, to use that expression again. Um, but it may be for, for somebody older that um, coming to hear the music in a brewery. Um, we're playing at Midnight Mulligans on the 27th of January. And to come and hear classical music in that really relaxed setting. We, we play at Noda quite a lot. And I was um, just really transfixed at the last concert we gave at Noda because we were playing in the slow movement of a symphony by Gustav Mahler. And if you'd ask the people in that audience, hey, do you want to come and hear the, the Mahler symphony by the Charlotte symphony? They might have said, ah, I don't know. How long is it? What do I have to wear? Yada, yada, yada. But if you present that music in a brewery, um, the barriers have kind of fallen away. And what really struck me, even though it was full, I mean, we had hundreds of people in that pretty small space. When they were playing that really quiet, slow, beautiful music, there was absolute silence. And you could physically see people leaning in to listen because they were completely in the moment absorbed by this gorgeous masterpiece. And for us, the challenge is we've got these masterpieces by 19th century composers from the European tradition. How do we show the relevance of that music to the American audience now? Mm -hmm. Once we've got them there, we can do it because the music is timeless and isn't boxed in by country. It does, it does speak to you and it speaks to everybody differently. But the trick for us is persuading people they want to hear it. I'm I'm wondering why you've never been to Charlotte Symphony. I am why? too. Good question. <laughs> That's a great question. It's a great question. <laughs> I'm starting to. You missed out your life. He's, he's been to every sporting event. I'm already here. I already got the Emperor's <laughs> new clothes and gray seal puppets. I'm already on the website. You already got. <laughs> there you go. You're you're reeling me date in night, already, boy. Man. Date you're night. Me in. Day there was a hole night. in your life you never realized until you spoke to me today. Yeah. <laughs> and and for me, it's very interesting because my father is, you know, he's he's a pilot. He's also, you know, very interested in, in music. And, you know, those are two things that I look back on my life and, and it wasn't something that really interested me. But as I grow older um, and, and now I, I'm a father of two, it, it kind of opens my eyes, not only what my son is interested in, but maybe some things that I, you know, didn't take an opportunity to learn, things that I didn't you know, jump into. And I was all into, you know, being an Eagle Scout and playing sports and all these different things that really created who I am. 
But now I look back on music and even being around Scott for a long time, Scott loves music. He's gotten me into so many different types of music that I never would have listened to before. So when you ask me why I've never been there, I don't know. You know, that's that's an answer I need to figure out and change quickly. Um, but I definitely am going to look into this for for my son and um, and and just you know experience that because one thing I say as a parent, you know, me loving sports, my kids might like sports, but they might not. You know, they might like something completely different. And for me as a father, I want to make sure that I give them those opportunities to find out their own path because my dad didn't play a lot of sports, but we fell in love with sports and my dad supported that wholly and, and really, you know, enabled me to, to be able to, to play in college and do all these things. But he, was, he didn't care about soccer. My dad did not know a damn thing about soccer. <laughs> right. And the same kind of thing with me and music, but who knows, like this might be the calling for Graham and something that he truly loves. And, and I just want to be able to open that door so he can create, you know, the path that he wants, but give him those opportunities to be exposed to things like the Charlotte symphony. Well, it's funny because I was having this conversation, a similar conversation with somebody the other day who was saying to me, what should I come and listen to? And I gave them the same answer I just gave you, which is why do you come and hear us in the breweries? Because it's the most easy way of sort of getting into it. And he said, ah, I can go to a brewery anytime. I want to have the real symphonic experience. I want to dress up and come with my wife. We'll have a date night. And that, of course, is the other way of doing it, which is to say, we're going to go out for a special occasion. We're going to have a nice dinner beforehand. Then we're going to go to the symphony. And we're going to just sit quietly and forget about all of our worries and just lose ourselves in music for the next two hours. And I think that is also one of the attractions of, of this because we're all so plugged in you know, to our phones all the time, to this visual stimulation. Uh, one of the other secret powers we have with music is it's not about the, the, the looking, it's about the listening. And when we, I think we've forgotten how to use our ears. There's so much of life that we simply enjoy through the visual part of it. And if we can just give ourselves the chance to just sit in a quiet place and just let the world fall away around us and just lose ourselves in the music, there is something which is incredibly calming and relaxing and stress relieving about that. And you'll get excited too if you come and hear a symphony down uptown. Um, but it's mostly about, I think, just being able to relax and listen. Have fun. Like you said, just lose lose everything around you and enjoy. I, that's exactly what I get out of it. Um, it gives you something to talk about too, right? Like what kind of grade do you give Charlotte uh, and its music and art scene? Um, I know you, if I'm not mistaken, you spent some time in Richmond. Um, how do we compare and stack up to other cities and what can we do to continue to elevate uh, that in our, in our community? That's a really good question. And uh, I'll answer it this way, which is I've lived in Charlotte, Richmond, London, Manchester, Belfast, and I've visited obviously lots of cities. And I'm always grateful and impressed when I see a city using the arts to raise its quality of life and thinking that the arts are central to that quality of life in the city. We're really good at that with sports in Charlotte. There's still much more potential to be tapped if we put the same energy into promoting the arts and cultural institutions of the city as we do our sports teams. Because we actually bring as many people and bring as many dollars into the city because we're playing all the time. We're giving exhibitions all the time, not just X number of games a year. And um, if that investment went hand in hand with the obligation on our part to make our 
music, our art available to everybody, accessible to everybody, then I think we could do much better than we are already. Um, but I do, I do think that there is a serious commitment on the part of the city and the county to both being good stewards of the institutions that they've got, but also giving individual artists the chance to um, succeed. I do appreciate that. I've seen it in the reports and the various different uh, um, points of policy focus that I've watched for the last two years being talked about in, count, in uh, government meetings. So I, I do think people are thinking about it. And there's a process underway in the city at the moment to think about how we can fund the arts and cultural community better longer term. I got here after the sales tax referendum had failed. I wasn't part of that public discussion then. But I, I know there have been efforts over the years to try to think about how to create stability in the sector. And for me, that's really important because you know, these 65 musicians are part of a union. We have a union contract that's multi-year. So the obligations I've got don't just go from one year to the next. I'm always looking at three to five year span about how we plan successfully to, to grow and to flourish and to, um, as I said, be good stewards of the monies that are being given to us. Can you uh, go into a little bit more detail with your partnership with CMS? And I'm going to kind of lay out this question. You look at a lot of school systems, whether that's in Charlotte or that's elsewhere around the country, and you see a lot of things that are getting taken away, right? Whether that's sports or music or arts. And, and that kind of, you know, terrifies me at the same time, because I know when I look back in, in school, my favorite things to do was art class. I loved it, right? Like I love PE, but like art class was my favorite. And it was something that I just knew I could create something and I could be, you know, myself. And it was just a, a, an experience that I loved. And I probably really wasn't that good at art, but I loved it, right? And, and I see a lot of things maybe going away, but you mentioned that partnership with CMS. How does that partnership work? How are you guys working, you know, with the school systems to get, you know, music and, and, and arts not only in there, but bringing in professionals, showing people what it can be like. Explain to me what that partnership is like and how people in our community can continue to elevate that and tell you know, their schools and their principals and, and, the, and, and CMS how important that is because it's not about just going into school and learning you know, whatever math, right? It, I think it's so important to do things like music. Explain a little bit about what that partnership is like and, and how we can continue to promote it. Yeah, well, let me just say that I have huge respect for the people who teach music because they're in the trenches every day. I don't have the patience to do it. I never really have. And God bless them because they do. And they, they yeah. soldier on with not enough resources, not enough time, not enough support, not enough money. Uh, and they do it. And there are kids who, in, through their hands, through their teaching, will grow up to be musicians, professional musicians, or to, to lust up music and have music in their lives forever. So our job as professional musicians in a symphony orchestra is to see how we can be partners for the music teachers. And we can do that by providing experiences for the kids to have, and then by providing support for after school opportunities. So you might not think that it's possible for a kid to be switched onto music for life by simply coming to hear a symphony concert in the third or fourth grade, but it happens a lot. That they do a field trip, they come here the symphony in the big theater, the use the hours lead to them just thinking, I wanna learn an instrument. And they ask, a teacher or their, their mom or dad, can I, can I learn violin or piano or flute or whatever? And then you put the instrument in their hands and, and off we go. But the other part of it is really sort of stepping back and saying, let's look at the school system here. Are we providing the opportunity for 
a pipeline of learning to happen from pre-K all the way through to high school. And sometimes it takes an outsider to be able to work with the school system to say, I think we could help with this, that this a part of that system. Because it really is from pre-K that we want to try to provide those first opportunities. So we we have both that strategic view to take where we can be supportive um, and good partners, but we also have the practical opportunity to provide field trips and other experiences that might light that spark. And then we have our own youth orchestras. We have three youth orchestras and we do an after school program as well in four different parts of the city. So we are taking those kids after school and giving that opportunity to immerse themselves in music every week, which is the other part of it, because it's not just that one spark, it's also that chance to do it every week. And so we, we are in both of those places and that's how we support CMS. I love it. We, uh, I'll tell you, my four-year-old is in pre-K, CMS pre-K, and I had a conversation with his teacher three weeks ago, and, and I took Graham to a lot of Charlotte FC games, but like I said, he was so infatuated with the supporters and the drums and the music and singing the national anthem that they get an hour or probably 30 minutes where they get to choose, do you go to the art corner or do you go to the music corner? And once we started going to these Charlotte FC games, Graham started going to the music corner every time, right? Yeah. Well, then he started to pull one and two more kids, and now... They say literally all of them are marching around the room, banging on drums and playing music, all because Graham started that, right? I'm over here, I'm like, this is crazy. And she said, everybody's so excited about playing in the music. So now when they do it, it's like 80% of the kids are going over to the musical instruments. And it's just having that opportunity, right? See, it's very yes. simple. Just having that corner that's the music station for a four-year-old to go make noise, right? Create their own beautiful music. And, you know, and that's just exciting. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I'm glad that you guys are partnered with CMS. I think that's super important. And, uh, and something that I think if you're a parent and it's not something that your school's doing, um, you need to have that conversation, like reach out, figure out how they can continue to elevate. Cause I, I love all your points that you made on that. I don't have anything else on that. It was just good. Yeah. I, Amen. Are you, you sure? You answer, you answer my question really well. It was, uh, it was good. So, you know, as we start to close up, you know, this episode, tell us, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of great reasons why people need to check it out. Um, a lot of great opportunities, but you know, what's the one thing that our community can do, whether that's in the private sector, the nonprofit sector, but what, what can people in this community do to support you? Uh, I'm going to guess, coming to his show is the number one answer, but what are other ways in, uh, that, that, that this Charlotte community can support the symphony? Thank you for the question. Um, there's a really strange business model behind the symphony. It, it doesn't work. It's too expensive. <laughs> and I can tell you from many, many years of experience, it really doesn't work. Um, there are very few concerts that pay for themselves just by the cost of the ticket, just by the number of people who are coming. Um, and so, you know, we, we, there's an art behind ticket pricing. We want to make sure that we have tickets available from $10 up. Uh, and we don't want to have people to be turned away. So the answer is the other 70% of our revenue comes from donations, sponsorships, grants, to make it possible for us to put on a concert that can't be covered by the cost of ticket sales alone. And there are many demands on philanthropy, on people's charitable dollars. But we do get a lot of gifts, large and small, that add up to the balancing of that budget. And that's the other answer I give you. You know, come, because that's most important. We want to have an audience. We're nothing without an audience. 
But if you if you can't come often, or if you don't want to think, if you just want to say the simply is doing good work, I appreciate what they're doing. They have a role in this community. I'll make a gift. And it is not just a flip thing to say that every dollar counts. Every dollar does count. And it all adds up to a significant amount of money over time. And for a lot of people that I really appreciate. Yeah, you can go on their website. If you scroll to the bottom, there is a donate button. So you can check that out and, and learn about it. I was actually looking on here for the um, um, the family series. And that entire family series is presented by Domtar. So if you're a corporation that's that's interested, I'm sure there's an opportunity and avenue that you guys can jump in and, uh, and support that. And thank you, Domtar, for doing that. Um, well, this has been really fascinating. I, I definitely need to come check it out. You've, you've sold me. You've done a great job. And hopefully there's a lot of people listening that, you know, whether they've been, this excites them to go back. If they have kids or young kids, get them, you know, excited about music, give them the opportunity to experience that. And then if it's people that have never been, hopefully, you know, this podcast will push them in that direction, whether it's date night or bringing their kids. But I think you've done a great job of explaining, you know, how you guys are involved in the community, how the support is necessary, but ultimately how you can shape the culture of the city, how we can continue to grow in arts and music. And, and I think that's fascinating. And hopefully, you know, as Arc City continues to grow and more resource come in and more people come in, these corporations will continue uh, to fund you and, and enable you to grow and hopefully turn this business model into uh, one that one that work. works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank well, you. I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to talk to you. Absolutely. We appreciate your leadership and what you're doing for the community and how you're bringing people together. And uh, that goes a long way. So please keep up the great work in that regard. Absolutely. Uh, thank, yes, again, we always say like, share, comment, go check out the website. Uh, we'll have all those links on there. Uh, David, again, thank you so much for your time. It was amazing to learn more about it. Look forward to meeting you in person at the symphony. I will keep you updated. And uh, until next time, you have been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.